would you guys, let's just, let's just uh, join our hand if you want to around. Let's just pray for her. She, you're going to Kenya. No, oh, Rwanda and Uganda. I'm sorry, Rwanda and Uganda. And we'll be traveling uh, to work in her ministry of Apples for Africa, where she helps plant trees for women who can then have an income to get out of poverty. And so uh, we want to pray for her. She leaves for safe travel and, and all that and getting back. And so let, let's pray for her, Sharon, okay? Lord Jesus, uh, we're amazed at times at what you put on people's hearts and how um, when you place that on a person's heart, you then begin to give them the ability to carry it out. And we pray for Sharon this morning as she makes final preparations to leave. Lord, we pray that the next few days will be restful and that her strength will be at full throttle. And we pray that as she travels, that you'll watch over her and protect her. Keep her safe, Lord Jesus, and that when she gets to Rwanda and Uganda, that, Lord, her life will shine brightly for the gospel's sake. And, Lord, we know that any time people travel and they go to another part of the world, there are connections and things that need to happen. And so we pray in your prevenient grace that you'll go before her and that you'll prepare the way. And, Lord, we pray that this effort and these works will be done to the glory of Jesus Christ and people will know that you are good and that your goodness is expressed through people. So we pray, Father, that all this will be done. We'll get a good report. People's lives will be changed. Jesus will be seen in action. And we pray all of this in his strong name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you. Well, good morning. <clears throat> We're uh, in John 7. <clears throat> uh, and we're trying to get out of John 7. <clears throat> I tend to get caught <clears throat> in these chapters. Uh, John 7, and continue. If you go to your table of contents, find it. Uh, the, these conversations with Jesus. <clears throat> these uh, conversations with Jesus that are, to me, fascinating. And I want to <clears throat> begin here uh, by uh, discussing at least, remember, that this uh, whole event beginning at chapter 7... Uh, is a time in Jerusalem when there is this uh, huge feast called the Feast of Tabernacle, a Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkoth, or uh, the the Feast of Booths, uh, <clears throat> where people would make little huts. And I showed you some pictures last week in their backyard. Becky and I still have our little pergola. She she looked at me yesterday as cold. She goes, "We eating out there today?" And I thought, "Smart Alec." <laughs> uh, uh, but they would make these booze and they would, they would eat out there and it would remind them of their time in the wilderness for 40 years when God provided them all that they needed. And, and it was considered, uh, this, this feast was considered one of the three. You see this in Leviticus 23. There were three feasts that every Jewish male had to show up to. One was Passover and one was Pentecost and the other was the Festival of the Booths. In fact, it was considered such a wonderful time of rejoicing uh, that uh, it was considered to be, one rabbi said it uh, this way, he who has not experienced the festival of booths has never known joy. And so this was a time of great celebration. Jesus is in town. You might, just some information I didn't give you last week, keep, keep giving you a little more, that uh, this, this time, and by the way, the Feast of Booths ends this Wednesday. So if you want to still get in on it, you know, want to build your booth, uh, you know, or, or build your booth uh, and uh, eat out there and we'll come by and eat with you. But, uh, you know, depending on what you have. Uh, but it was, the, it was a time to call about God's great commemoration. Now, now, on the first day, 
when Jesus, before he gets there, on the first day of the festival of the booths, there were, there were four candelabras placed around the temple court area. They were 75 feet high. Think about that. <clears throat> 75 feet high, four of them, surrounding the temple area. And in those candelabras, there were four candles, and those four candles were held with bowls that had held 10 gallons of oil. And so uh, Josephus and others tell us on the first day of the Festival of the Booths, these were all lighted, litted. <laughs> they lit them. <clears throat> they used a match. <clears throat> uh, they, they, they lighted or lit. I don't know. <clears throat> I, don't under, I don't understand English. I, I understand Greek better than English. They lit them. <clears throat> and, and the whole area was absolutely ablaze with light. Uh, which, which would, uh, again, remind people that God was with them in the tabernacle and in the, in the desert. It was always a cloud or it was a, a light by evening that they would see Him. And this commemorated, again, this, this incredible thing. And so this is a big deal. This is one of the top three uh, 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 celebrations and the one that everybody had to get to or every male in that year if they lived in the area. And so <clears throat> there was this huge display of light, wonderful light that reminded them again of God's Shekinah, or in Hebrew they call it Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God that glowed. And, you know, if you've ever been to Israel, I think I mentioned I've been there once, but... Uh, <clears throat> it, you know, the, the, the temple is on a mountain or on called Mount Zion. And if you can just get in your mind that this high point in Jerusalem is absolutely ablaze to the glory of God. And people are dancing and singing and eating and enjoying this time. So Jesus is in this time. He's already come there in that day. And we're going to pick it up here after we did last week. After Jesus makes some pretty profound statements, we're going to look at verse 25. So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man who they're seeking to kill? Jesus had made statements about his timing, and if you want to know if his teaching is of God, then just do it. You'll figure that out. Look, he is speaking publicly, and they are saying nothing to him. The rulers did not really know that this is the Christ, do they? Now, the answer there is this. It's interesting. Uh, it says, look here the publicly. The rulers do not really know that he's the Christ, do they? And the answer there, because of the construction in Greek, the way it's written, is the answer is, no, they don't know. They apparently don't know. Uh, then Jesus cried out in the temple teaching, you both know me and know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me, and he, you do not know him. I know him because I am from him and have been sent by him. So they were seeking to seize him. Now that's the religious leaders here, as we understand that. And no man laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But many of the crowd believing in him, they were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which the man, this man has done. Will he? And the answer there again is no. He won't. The, the, it, Greek can answer itself. I, I love Greek. And all these people live up in here that I talk to, Greek can answer itself, so it's helpful to me. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. Therefore Jesus said, For a little while longer I am with you, then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we not find him? He's not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks. 
and teach the Greeks, is he? The answer again, no. What is this statement he said, you will seek me and you'll not find me. And where I am, you cannot go. Now on the last day, we're talking about that in a minute. There, there were some things that happened on the first day of this, and there were some things that happened on the last day. The great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, who those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not been glorified. Now, in this setting, I want to I want to look at a few things here and try to kind of just walk through this 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 uh, this most important feast that likely uh, the, most all the people in the environs of Israel are around. Number one, let's look at here questions about Jesus. There are some questions about Jesus that uh, that begin to to uh, start or, or or begin to occur. The crowd begins to say stuff like this: Is this the man they're trying to kill? Is this the one? That they're, that they're trying to kill? Is this the man? And, and they're confused because remember now, in the context, what Jesus had done was in chapter 5 of John healed a guy that had been sick for 36 years. And in good religious parlance, they decided, the religious leaders did, because Jesus did this on the Sabbath, we should kill him. That makes perfect sense, right? It does to a legalistic mind. To say, you know, he killed it. He made this guy well, so we're going to kill him. So in this section here, they're wanting to know, where is he? Where is he from? Notice this kind of language. This isn't the guy they're trying. He's speaking publicly, but the ruler said they don't really know that this is the Christ, do they? No. However, we know where this man is from. Now notice this. Watch here in verse 27. We know where this man is from, but whenever the Christ might come, no one knows where he'll come from. Now, now these questions, let me just try to help you understand what these questions are. These people are, are confused here. They're saying, now wait a minute. Will the Christ do more things than this guy? And, and, and the answer is no. And yet, the religious leaders are saying, this can't be the Christ because we know where he's from. They, they, they believe they know he's from Galilee. They, they understand that. And if you want to read into this in the future, if you will... Galilee is the northern part of Israel. And the rabbis believed that Galileans were so stupid that they couldn't understand the law. You'll see this as we go on. At time. They believed that Galileans were so stupid that they could not understand the law. They called them haedits, people of the dirt. Isn't that, a, isn't that a wonderful thing you'd like to be known by? People of the dirt. In other words, farmers, rednecks, you know, whatever you want to call them, you know. This common laborers that, that they're saying, we know where this guy's from, and the Messiah can't be coming from there. We, 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 can, we, we can say we know this because we know where this man is from, but whenever the Christ might come, no one knows where he'll come from. Now, that's partially true in this sense. Judaism had developed a, a system to believe that when the Messiah came, he would just appear, full-grown, full-blown, ready to go, ready to correct all of the excesses in Israel and to kick the Romans out. He would just show up like that. That would have been nicer for, easier for Jesus, wouldn't it? <laughs> Instead of being born and a stable and have to grow up and have to go through all of life, this Messiah was this mysterious person that would just show up instantly, if you will. And they say, we know where this guy's from. I just, I'm amazed by this. He said, we know where this guy's from, but whenever the Christ comes, 
No one knows where we'll come. There's something going on here. Let me see if I can explain it out of my head. What's happening here is the question about Jesus is, we already know the answer. We already know the answer. And, and when I'm working through this, I'm thinking that one of the problems the Pharisees have with Jesus here, and one of the problems that we sometimes have, is that we think we already got the answer. We think that we already understand everything, and nothing could be outside of our realm of knowledge. I tell my students at the university, I say, getting an education is difficult because when you come to school, you don't know that you don't know. We call that bliss. <laughs> right? You don't know, and you don't know it. And you're just as happy as a clam. But there's another process that you begin to start in. And all of a sudden, you begin to know what? That you don't know. That's called pain. <clears throat> That's called trouble, right? That, that we know that now that we don't know. Can I tell you something here I think is illustrative here of, of these Pharisees and these people? The people seem to be asking questions about Jesus that the religious leaders say, that can't be true. Why? Because we've already made our mind up. We've already made up our mind. We know that the Messiah will come and nobody knows. There's nothing in Scripture that would indicate that. We know where this guy's from. He comes from the wrong side of the tracks. He's from the wrong place. He's the wrong people. Can't be him. Now, now I wonder about that because in this conversation, it started making me ask myself, what is it I don't know that I don't know? <laughs> That's a scary thought, huh? I mean, what is it I don't know that I don't know? I, 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 over the years, you know, as I've studied the Bible and, and try to come to some conclusion, I'm not, I'm not arguing for ignorance here. I think what I'm arguing for here is humility. To say perhaps that what I know or what you know is not all there is to know. And that when we begin to set up these arbitrary things, like, well, we know where this guy's from. Well, do you? I mean, he's from Galilee. Did you know he was born in Bethlehem? <laughs> you know, did, did, you, did you follow that down? We hold the position sometimes that we believe something can't happen because it's outside of my intellectual framework. You ever notice that? That, that we say, well, God couldn't do that. Boy, listen, I, I don't know at times. <laughs> you know, I, I think I know how God's going to act all the time until I hear him tell Jeremiah, now here's what I want you to do. Take all your clothes off. <laughs> this is not for home purposes, okay? Do not try this at home. Take all your clothes off and put a yoke around your neck and walk around the city of Jerusalem. Come on. I was like, who is this really? You know. Now, I'm, I, I, I'm not trying to get too, I'm, I'm not trying to get funnier or silly about this. I'm, I'm as simple as saying this. Sometimes our preconceived notions about how God can and will work block us from experiencing the presence and the power of God. I mean, I, I have some, if you will, some markers that I need to, to you know, to, this is, it's got to be consistent with Scripture. It certainly has to glorify Jesus. I've got some things I've got to work through, but I find in these religious people and in my own heart at times, when I'm starting to think, well, God can't do that. He wouldn't do that. I don't know. I, I can tell you this. I think it'll be consistent with Scripture always. I think it will always glorify Jesus, and it will always be for the good of others. This is a little tough. But we sometimes hold the position that we can be too impressed with our own learning. I'll never forget years ago, 
I flunked this student, but I, anyway, no, no, I didn't. Man, I'm, I've been teaching for several years, and, you know, I'm, I'm coaching them up. I'm, I'm working with them. I'm, I'm giving them their money's worth. And I'm talking, and this was maybe 10 years ago, and, I, and I'm, I'm talking and have to be teaching on prayer at that time. And a student raises their hand and said, yes, you know. I just love helping these little empty brains, you know. Because I think I know all this about this particular subject. And, and, this, uh, and, this, and this student says to me, we're talking about prayer, and he said, Cliff, you've talked to us about prayer. prayer. Do you ever listen in prayer? Smart Alec. <laughs> I want to tell you, 10 years ago, I mean, I, I know that, at least theoretically, but about 10 years ago, my prayer life began to change because somebody began to ask me a question that I had sort of had outside of my frame of reference, had it out here, didn't have it, didn't have it close, and had to begin to say, now, wait a minute, maybe, maybe I don't know how God always operates. I'm not trying to make this get looser and looser. And, you know, I, again, it's got to be according to Scripture. It's got to be glorifying to Jesus for good. But these people are asking questions, and in fact, they're answering, and they're saying, look, do, don't the, do the people know that this is the Messiah? Well, they don't. But w- will he do more than this? No. Well, why are they trying to kill him? Well, because they say, we know where he's from, and we know he can't be the guy. You ever talk like that? Got it all fixed in your mind? All nailed down? When I read the Bible, I, I, I try to do two things. I try to suspend what I, what I think I know, all of it, which isn't that much. <laughs> and I try to have some intellectual curiosity. One of my professors in seminary always said, explore all possibilities. Try to look at this in a different lens. Try to, try to say to yourself, wait a minute, are my presuppositions stopping me from even considering the thought that Jesus could be who he said he is? I think it's, it's important as we look at these people. In, in the crowd, many of them are saying this. So, so many of them were believing in him and some were saying when the Christ comes, he'll not perform on signs in this, will he? When the, when the Pharisees heard this, they, they decided, we're going to go get him. Now, now here, here's, here's the idea here. Let me just ask you to consider this. There really is an issue here that's at stake, in my judgment, that our predetermined ideas of how God is and what he can do can sometimes limit what God can do in our own lives. Right? And I remember hearing this statement by Dwight. No, no it wasn't Dwight. I was at the National Prayer Breakfast, and somebody quoted Dwight Eisenhower former president of the United States, and Dwight Eisenhower said this, that he often envied the comfort of the extremist. That's settling you for a second. He often envied the comfort of the extremist. What do you mean? He, he means an extremist in any area of life doesn't have to consider any more information. An extremist in any area of life doesn't have to consider that what I know may not be all there is to know. I've said to my students this way, you know what you know, but what you know is not all there is to know, you know. (laughs) And I have to write that on the board. (laughs) I mean, you know what you know, but what you know and what I know is not all there is to know. And these guys are being blocked, and I think in my own life, I've been blocked at times. I'll give you a funny story. When I was in seminary, uh, I got sick, and uh, we didn't have any money. And I was going to work at United Parcel Service. And, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're just having a hard time. 
and I didn't, we didn't have any discretionary income, and I wasn't going to ask my parents. And, uh, you know, when I ever asked my dad for money, he goes, who is this? <laughs> so I quit doing that. Um, but I remember I was really sick. I'd gone to work, I'd come home from school, and I couldn't get well. And I had on television. And, you know, I, I never watched this guy very often. I, we, we have some real theological disagreements. He's not shook up about it, I can tell you that. Um, he doesn't even know I exist. But I'm so sick, and, and my openness to God, and this evangelist on tele, Christian television, which, again, I don't always watch very often, unless I want to, anyway. Uh, he says this. Now stretch your hand out to the television set. I was home by myself, I think. Really. And I just went. I'm not looking. I'm not looking. But you know what? I've been healed before in a similar circumstance. I know other people that have been healed before. And I know that God works at our extremities and isn't always going to do things the way we tell him to do it. And it it was an amazing experience. I I just thought, wow, come on, Cliff. You're in seminary. You know the Bible. This guy's a... Anyway, I won't tell you who it was. You could probably guess. But but that idea that my mind is so made up that these people are asking these kind of questions to say, is this the guy? And there's a group of people saying it can't be the guy. It can't be because he doesn't fit the mold. He doesn't fit the mold for us. He doesn't, he doesn't conform to what we demand that he does. I just think that's fascinating. And I think that it is interesting that we sometimes envy the comfort of people who've made their minds up. It's all made up. All made up. One of the things that I think has been helpful to me is a willingness to be open. A willingness to say, I don't have it all figured out. I need some more information. Please, I, I know what I know. I mean, I, I do know that. But help me if there's something here I've missed. Help me. Help me understand that there may be more to this than I know. I think that's a healthy way to go. So I'm going to ask you to do something this week. And we're going to, What if this week you took one truth you believed about Jesus and invest some time studying to see if the truth is accurate or not? I mean, I, one of the joys I have in working with students is to help them to kind of begin to look at what you've been told or what you think. Is it accurate or not? I think sometimes because we haven't done this, we've got lots of people that are agnostic at best because we've told them stuff that just isn't true. You know, we, we, we just told them, I remember hearing a guy say one time, you know, uh, well, I'll stop there. Better not. Uh, but anyway, uh, but some idea. For, give me an example. I asked a class one time. I asked a class one time. God is love, right? You've heard that? You know, God is love. God is, yeah. Where's that found? 36 students didn't know where it was out of 36. How do you know that? How do you know that's true? Are you sure? You know, is your mind open enough to say there might be things here that I need to consider? There might be something that I ought to look at and say, is that really true? Because my concern, as I've said to you, my concern is that sometimes we're telling people things that's not what the Scriptures teach or like that, and, and we end up creating that a person becomes an agnostic. Well, see, the Bible isn't true. Well, no, what they told you isn't true. <laughs> it doesn't have to be in the Bible. 
So try that. Okay, second thing here. I want to get to the meat of this. The proclamations made by Jesus. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to seize him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, For a little while longer, I'm with you. And then I'm going to go away to him who sent me, and you'll seek me. You cannot come to where I am, and you will not be able to find me. Now, I, this is interesting to me. This proclamation. Now, that's a that that's kind of. I mean, we understand what he says. Where I'm going to go, you can't. But when you seek me, you won't find me. You're not going to find me. And, and I, that's always kind of confusing to me. So we're we're going to look at that just a little bit because the first thing is you cannot. Notice here that Jesus says you. You're, you're going to seek me, and you're going to look for me, but you won't be able to find me. Now, we understand, if you will, some of this is to do with the fact that Jesus is saying, I'm going to die and go to heaven. And he said, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll seek me, but you won't find me. The interesting question here is, why would they be seeking him? Is there some understanding here that they're coming to some realization, this guy's more than what we think he is. He's more than what we think he is. And I was working, working through, this seems strange for Jesus to say, You'll seek me, and you'll find me. You cannot come to me. What's he doing here? Well, I think Jesus is, is trying to lay out, if you will, in this proclamation, that what seems a bit strange to me is that they only have this period of time right now for him to seek him. This is not something going to go on for long. He's going to be on the earth just for a while. He told his disciples, I'm going to go, and you can't come where I'm going, John 14. You can see that. But is there something else here in this idea of you'll seek me, but you won't be able to find me? When I'm reading this and looking at this, we understand that mo most of this, if you will, has to do with the fact that he's going to die, go to heaven as he's ascended. They wonder, the, the religious wonder, well, is he going to go find a new group? The, the, it, see there in verse 35? Is he going to go to the dispersion? That's where other Jews live. The dispersion or the diaspora is when the Jews were kicked out of Palestine, kicked out of other areas, and live in all other parts of the world. Is Jesus going to go to another group? Going to try to find them? I just, the question arose in my mind as I'm working through this to say, is, is Jesus saying to them, obviously, you're not, you're, you're not going to find me, and I'm not going somewhere else, and you can't come to me. Why? Because they don't believe him. Is that... Is that a thought here for us to say, you know, we often think that Jesus is just some easy kind of going guy. Instead of saying, he's saying, here, look, if you don't believe, you can't come to me. You can't come to me. I wrote in my notes here, why do people sometimes come to Jesus? These guys are coming in because they want to kill him. See it there? They, they, they want to come to him because they want to kill him. Other people sometimes seek Jesus just when they're in distress. You ever done that? I, I have. I've been one of those. That, that when you're in distress, you seek Him. I, I'm, I'm too busy right now, Jesus. I don't, that, that's what these Pharisees are saying. We're too busy right now. We don't believe in you. One day, when we try to seek you, you, you won't be here anymore. This, is, this idea of seeking for Him the proper way. Notice here what Jesus does. He says, I'm going to go. And then they say, what is this statement he said in verse 36? You'll seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Do you ever feel that way with God that you can't get to him? That, that, that you Because we know as followers of Jesus, we can get to him. 
Do you ever, do you ever get that sense of, you know, sometimes I can't get to him. I talk to people all the time. You know, we're at church. It's easy to see that we can seek and find Jesus. But at work and at home and in the car, especially the car, right? It's harder. It, it, it's, it's this idea of, of seeking him. Can, I want to just show you, and maybe, maybe Cliff, you're going way off in the, the deep in here. But I want to show you a verse here that has helped me in this idea of seeking. Okay? I want you to go to the book of James, which is interesting here, the book of James, because this book was written to Jews in the dispersion. This book was actually written to where these, where these religious leaders are thinking Jesus is going to go. That he's going to go to the Jews in the dispersion. Go to James chapter 4. <clears throat> I just This idea of seeking Jesus, of, of getting to him, of being able to, to make contact with him. This is a great verse here, and I want to show you something about sequence here. Where in chapter 4, verse 8, it says this, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Now watch this. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know what? Every time I would seek Jesus in the years past, I'll just, just be honest with you. When I would seek Jesus, I had the sequence backwards. You see it there? Whenever I felt like I needed to draw near to God, so He would draw near to me, I had the sequence backwards. Let me, let me read it to you the way I thought in seeking Jesus and drawing near. Let me, show, let, me, let me read it to you. Verse 8. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Then draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. That's the way I practiced it for years. I thought, I know this sounds crazy because I've been in church like you have. I thought, clean it up first, and then draw near. That's the exact opposite of this matter that is telling us to seek Jesus. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. You know what will happen then? You'll have the energy, the strength, and the wherewithal to deal with your stuff. You'll have the desire. You'll have the interest. You'll have the ability as you draw near to God. You'll be able now, now I can deal with my stuff. Instead of thinking, i got to deal with my stuff before I can draw near to God. Who's with me on that? You heard that? Yeah, come on. Yeah, I mean, this whole idea. The sequence is completely backwards. We say that all the time. We say, well, you know, you don't have to clean your life up to come to Jesus. We just practice that. <laughs> right? That's all we do. We just practice it. We don't believe it. We don't agree with it. Right? But we practice it. And Jesus is saying to these guys, you're going to seek me someday. You're not going to find me because I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be in heaven. But would we think about our own seeking of Him at least seems to me, we think we got to do something first. I, to me, this is, is incredible that Jesus says through his, or the Holy Spirit says through Jesus' brother, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He will. You'll then have the energy and the strength to deal with your stuff. I've watched this in my own life. Becky and I <clears throat> talking the other day and I was just discussing something. I said, you know, Beck, I want to talk to you about just, just some goofy things in my mind. And just, you know, I feel like I'm kind of out of whack like this. And, 
You know, she went, okay, tell me. No, she didn't. You know, uh, in my relationship with Becky, she knows everything about me. Everything. No secrets. Nothing. Nothing. You know why? Because when I, we first got married, I, I just tell you, I, this was crazy to me. It's not in the notes, so this is where we may get in trouble here in just a minute, okay? <clears throat> I had never, uh, you know, I'd, I'd never been engaged. Uh, I'd never been with anyone intimately when Becky and I got married, and we got married, and I thought as a, you know, person that, uh, you know, that uh, now that I've married Wonder Woman, uh, and she is, you know, that, that'd be, I, I'll never forget. It wasn't but a few months after we were married. And we were, I was at a meeting or something like that, and I felt an attraction to a woman. And I went, what's that? I thought that was all dead. <laughs> right? Was well, not. I mean, there may be snow on the roof. There's still some fire in the furnace, okay? <clears throat> Come on. Should have never. I told you I got away from the nose. <clears throat> Happens every time. You know what? I felt, I mean, I didn't do anything about it. I, it shocked me. I thought, what? I can be attracted to women still? I came home and I said to Becky, Becky, I want to talk to you about something. Okay? Today, I was at a meeting and it stunned me that I was attracted to this person. N- nothing, I mean, it wasn't like, whoa, you know. <clears throat> I mean, it was just, just an attraction, okay? Come on. <clears throat> and I said to her, um, it scared me and it troubles me that that happened. And Becky said, Cliff, it's normal. We're, we're committed to one another. And we love each other. And you can tell me anything. She didn't get all huffy and, well, what's the matter? Am I, you know, uh, you know, what I see on television, that's all I've heard. Am I not enough for you? Are you, she didn't get all swole up, man. She said, I love you. And you can talk to me about anything. Do you know that's why we don't have any secrets? I mean, here's early in our marriage. I'm thinking this, this could be a deal breaker. You know, you tell your wife, hey, I got attracted to another woman today. <clears throat> You know, I mean, I, I, I know I know people that if they said that blow their relationship to bits. That's why we have no secrets. At all. And when I go to her, I can tell her anything. Why? Because she said, tell me. Listen, you're not going to tell God anything about yourself. Until you're convinced He'll let you draw near first. If you're convinced, He's not shook up. By the way, you're not telling me anything you already know, okay? You do know that, right? You're never going to draw near to God. You're, you're, you're never going to go into a place where you know on the other side of the door is a baseball bat that hits you in the head. But when you know, if you'll draw near, He'll draw near to you. And then, we can deal with this stuff. Does that make sense? It just, my mind immediately went to that. 
that Jesus was saying to these guys, you can't draw near to me. You're not going to find me. You're not, you're, you're, you're not open. You're not willing to believe me. You, you're not going to ever find me until you draw near. Don't get this sequence goofed up. Don't, don't try to straighten yourself out and get yourself straight and get yourself fixed and, and all of this. Draw near to God. Seek Him. Draw near to Him. He said, He will then, look here, He will draw near to you. And some of us don't do that because we feel so shamed. We feel so broken. We feel like God doesn't want to hear from us. And listen to me, let me tell you something. You can't deal with your stuff until you have the energy and the power from a God who loves you and accepts you. You can't deal with your stuff. Your stuff and my stuff is too big. Your stuff and my stuff is too overwhelming. Your stuff and my stuff is too embarrassing. Till we understand that when I draw near to Him, He will draw near to you. Okay? Now, let's go here. Maybe you can. Here's this proclamation. You cannot. That's what we say to those guys. Maybe you can. I got to hurry. But... In, in this passage here, again, I'm just trying to tell you what, what it looks like to me. Now, Jesus, on verse 8, on the last day of the feast, the great day. This is interesting, isn't it? Now, the last day, the great day of the feast. On the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> the people would gather together at the temple. And they <clears throat> would then process down to the pool of Siloam, <clears throat> down the southwest corner of, of the uh, city. This was a famous pool, and we can talk about it some other day, but a famous pool that was dug. And in fact, they just found it in 2004. I don't know if you know that or not. They, just, they thought they knew where it was, and they found it in excavation. In 2004, they found the actual location of the Pool of Siloam. Like one guy said, there has never been an archaeological discovery yet that has ever overturned the truth of the Bible. Never, never, never. So rejoice. <laughs> talk on yourselves. Uh, that... that, that this pool is, is very famous where the water would come in that was dug and this thing, so that in times of siege there would be water that would come in inside the, the walls so they could live. It was, this water was moving. It was considered living water because it wasn't stagnant. It wasn't a pond. It was living water. you got to remember that. Where mikvahs or baths could be taken for purification and cleansing. The rabbi, the chief priest would go down there. They would march down there singing and dancing. By the way, when we were there, there was this little bar mitzvah that was happening one night down one of the streets of Jerusalem. And I'm telling you, you'd have thought we were in New Orleans. They were dancing and talking and playing a clarinet and had these little things over everybody. It was awesome. I got in line. I just started... <clears throat> Got with my thought. Food, you know, they're going to have. So these would be high celebrations. There would be flutists. There would be people that, that then the priest would take two golden pitchers and he would go and in the pool of Siloam, in one pitcher was wine and the other one was water. And then they would march back singing and dancing and celebrating. Again, that rabbi said, if you've never seen the water ceremony and the Feast of Tabernacles, you've never rejoiced in life. And so they would come back, and then they would come back to the temple, and he would pour out the water on the altar from that silver pitcher and begin to praise and thank God for the living water to bring life and vitality to the land. And then they would also pray for the resurrection that would occur. Now, you know, this, this event in an arid climate like Jerusalem was some kind of thing. I, I was, if you just understood how little water is there, how important it is. By the way, I'm doing a Bible study now through John of the times that water shows up. 
Water shows up through the Gospel of John over and over and over. You just, I'll get it to you one of these days. We take water for granted. They would do this, this incredible experience. And then Jesus say this. This is why I'm saying maybe you can. Listen to what Jesus said. If anyone is thirsty, maybe you can experience this. You know, there's, a, there's, there's an interesting thought here that Jesus has. That if you're thirsty, He can help you. If you're thirsty, He can help you. I've watched this in ministry over my time in life as a pastor and as a professor. That there are people that Jesus can't help because they have no sense of need. They have no sense of need. I'm fine. I'm fine. I prayed a prayer. I did, you know, any number of things. See, I, this idea, maybe you can, but, but I want to suggest to you something. That in this passage and other passages, Jesus is saying, there's only one kind of person I can help. Thirsty people. People that have this inward awareness that something needs to be filled. So people that have this inward awareness that I need more than just cars and things and people like that. That there's an inward thirst that has to occur. That I sense that comes, I believe, through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's stated in Jesus. This Jesus saying, if you're thirsty... If you, if you have this awareness, I can help you. If you are. Now watch this, what he said. Oh, I got, I'm back. I don't have that. Here we go. The next thing he says, watch this. If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. I wrote in my notes here. I, I just tell you, I, this is what's happened to me over the years. When Jesus said, if you're thirsty, if you have a sense of that. I will tell you this. I meant to say this earlier. In my work, in ministry or at the university, the hardest people to reach are religious people who are satisfied. They're the hardest people in the world to reach because they're religious and they're satisfied. I, I'm just hoping there's some dissatisfaction in your soul that you thought you just have to live with the rest of your life. And today Jesus may say, I got some water for you. I got something for you that can slake that thirst. If you're thirsty, I got what you need. You just need to open up. And then he says, come to me. How many times have I come to an understanding? You ever do that? I read the Bible. I just come to an understanding. Oh, that's true. I like that. Or how many times have I just come to believe a particular doctrinal position? I see it. I understand how it works in the Scriptures. Or maybe I, I come to an experience. I had an experience. Something happened. It was wonderful. But Jesus says, you got to come to me. Th think about that. I read the Bible every day. I study it. I teach it. But there are times when I am as aware as that I'm standing in this room that I've not come to Jesus. I've just come to an understanding. I've come to a doctrine. I've come to an experience. And Jesus said, come to me. Come to me. I, I wrote here, you know, sometimes uh, when we think about, well, sure, I've come to Jesus. I mean, I go to church and I read the Bible and I pray to prayer. You can still come short. You know, if 99%, if, you say, well, it's 99.9% .9 there. Do you know if 99.9% .9 of the pacemakers tomorrow were just put in the right person, 291 people would have the wrong pacemaker put in? If 
If 99.9% of the babies uh, go home to the right home, just, you know, we just miss it by one, then 12 babies will put, be put in the wrong home tomorrow. My, my dad thought that happened. But <laughs> he did. He said, where are you from, man? We don't get you. You know, the idea of getting close. I wanna, I'm gonna, we're going to finish our promise. Hear me. The idea of getting close. You believe the Bible? Check. You go to church? Check. You try to live a good life? Check. None of those are going to satisfy the thirst of the soul. Jesus said, you have to come to me. You have to come to me if anyone is thirsty. Have you done that? Is, is there that awareness, that understanding? I've come to Jesus because I was thirsty. He had the answer. He's got the answer. Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus a long time and you realize, you know what, I, I think I've been coming to teachings. I think I've been coming to understandings. I think I've been coming to experiences or worship. I think I've been coming to church, but I need to come to Jesus, to Him. You can do that. You can do that. Where He said, we saw like chapter 6, if anyone will come to me, I'll never cast them out. We've got to finish here. We'll pick this up later, but let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is a fascinating experience we see that illustrates a lot of ideas that are sometimes, Lord, difficult to get in our head. But we're not satisfied with that. We want it in our heart. And so I pray today that you'll help us to understand that we can come to you. If we're thirsty, we can come to you if we'll come to you and not stop short on any of these matters. I pray that we will live this week as people who are living in the flow and the wonder of this living water that comes from you. May we drink deeply of its source. May, may we experience the, the deep drinking of this living water that comes from you, Jesus. You, you'll never run out. We pray that we'll do that in our lives as we honor you with everything that we do. We pray it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.